Howdy folks, welcome back to the Run-In Rabbit. My name's Ed Moore, I'm your host. There will be spoilers. And for you that don't know, the Run-In Rabbit is a new Sagi Ojimbo fan podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can tweet me or sky blue me at Teal Productions, T-O-T-E-A-L, like the color. The Usagi Ojimbo fan page on Facebook is a place on Facebook where I post the episodes. BigTimeNoise.com slash RoninRabbit is the website. That's the first place to get the episodes. And UsagiPodcast at gmail.com is the email address if you feel so inclined. Usagi Ojimbo Volume 3, issue number 61 from the Dark Horse Comics Maverick line. Presumably on the stands October 30th. 2002, that's according to Mike's Amazing World. The title of the story is Out of the Shadows. Now, the cover, everything is done by Mr. Sakai except coloring, which is done by Mr. Tom Luth. It is full-color cover, as are all of Usagi's covers. It's an action picture. There's a horse running wild. It's saddled and everything, but it's running wild straight at us. And between the horse and us is Jotaro with Usagi off to the side trying to presumably chase down the horse before it runs down Jotaro. Looks like maybe we're in a village or the outskirts of a village. There are other villagers surrounding the sides and behind and the other side of Usagi, right and left, like a like a, a horseshoe shaped, right and left and behind. And then in that is Usagi to the left, the horse running right at us with Jotaro in front of the horse about to be run down. As I said, created, written, and illustrated by Mr. Stan Sakai. That's the entire uh, book. Front cover is colored by Tom Luth. The rear cover is colored by Jason Vam. Uh, it also appears to have been drawn by Mr. Sakai. And I'll get into that uh, at the end because it's the outside back cover. Out of the Shadows, title of the story. Now, I, I really like this setup. Um, two, four, six panels. Okay. There's on one third of the page on the left, there is a vertical panel for probably 90% of the page. Then on the right, there are five panels top to bottom of the page showing action. So the first long panel on the left is a long shot of a section of roadway that cuts through a village. So you have village buildings on either side. You have various people. And this is a top-down shot. Various people walking uh, down the down the street, and I I believe I see the one here, but we have Jotaro running about a third of the way down the panel, and then about two thirds of the way down the panel, you see someone that appears probably to be a samurai, although I don't know if it's Usagi or not because the ears are not right, so maybe not. But the five panels on the right hand side of the page progressively show Jotaro running, uh, passing more people. He's coming up behind Usagi. Usagi finally turns and acknowledges him. And in the fifth panel, the two of them are standing face to face. So I really like that progression. Uh, it's something that is constantly in Mr. Sakai's frame of mind. And that is a very uh, cinnamon, cinnamon, cinematographic, like, yeah, um, very, what would that word be? Cinema? Yeah, that word doesn't come to mind, but very much like a movie, uh, like stills would be in a movie. So basically what it is, is Jotaro has purchased some takoyaki, and he's running to the village to meet up with Usagi to offer Usagi some. And he finally gets there and offers it to Usagi, and 
<laughs> Jitaro is going on there. Tastes really good, but they're not very filling. And just as Usagi's about to take a bite, he realizes what's going on as he's kind of looking over at Jitaro and he says, Well, if you're still hungry, and he hands it back. And Jitaro's like, Thanks, Uncle Usagi. And he scarfs it up. So they're talking a little bit back and forth. Um, Jitaro is wondering where Usagi gets his money at all. And uh, there's a little uh, a telling panel here, uh, the final panel on the page. Jitaro says, what's the good of being an expert swordsman if you don't fight? And Usagi's response is, is classic, but it's also classic Usagi. You become an expert swordsman so you don't have to fight. Ah, young Jitaro. Uh, next pan uh, page is we, we start out with a panel of a gorilla samurai. Now, a gorilla is a species that I don't see stand draw very much. Um, th this person is a... Is a semi-important to the progression of the story, but not important to the story itself. I can't really remember the last time I saw a gorilla in Usagi's world. It's been a really long time, but here, here a samurai is riding a horse, and the horse is whatever. He bites through his bit. The gorilla loses control, falls off the horse. The horse charges unimpeded on down the street, a la what we're seeing in the cover. Except that uh, there is a uh, woman walking down the street with her young daughter, Hideko, and she, uh, Hideko, wanders away from mom just as the horse breaks loose. And so the horse actually is going to charge her down and probably trample her, unlike on the cover, which has Jotaro in that position. But Usagi rushes out, screaming R-Y-A-H-H, Ria, and... Um, uses his sword, he unsheathes it and swipes at the horse, and the horse falls dead. The girl is safe. Usagi nonetheless scoops her up, even though he has run between the horse and she, and has struck the horse down before it got even to him, Usagi, much less her. So uh, he still scoops up the girl and carries her over to her mother. Now, the gorilla samurai uh, is very upset that this dude, you know, whoever he is, killed his horse. Horses are expensive. So, you know, plus what any number of other things. It's his property. It's disrespectful. You know, yada, yada, yada at this point. The gorilla samurai probably is attached. I see his mon all over his, uh, his garb, but I don't recognize it. He may recognize Usagi as a run-in, which also would make Usagi lesser on top of the fact that he just killed dude's horse. So so the, the gorilla and Usagi are going back and forth. You killed my horse. You should learn to control your horse. Da -da -da, back and forth. And then he says, anyways, Usagi says, see, my blade is clean, meaning he didn't strike the horse down. And so J Jotaro looks over and, and walks towards the horse and says, well, then what killed him? Look. And the horse is laying on the ground on its side. And we see a uh, shuriken sticking in, in, embedded in the side of the horse's head. So Usagi apparently did kill the horse right before it got within sword range. The shuriken uh, killed the horse. So now the gorilla goes ape, should we say? Bah ha ha ha. Yeah. Anyways, he goes crazy now with the, the townspeople uh, going on about, you know, who did it and he'll find them and all this other stuff. Meanwhile, Usagi grabs up Jotaro's hand and says, you know, Come on, let's get this has nothing to do with us. We don't need to be in with this anyway, so let's take off. So they continue walking. Jitaro collected the shuriken, which 
probably is not wasn't a good idea because this is something about shurikens. Most of the throwing stars that I ever see in media seem to have very short prongs. And as such, I always wonder how one is able to kill someone if it is embedded. Even if it is embedded to the length of its whichever spoke, it still never seems deep enough to really do damage. Now, we, we just saw it take down a horse. A horse's skull is pretty thick. Um, I don't know that the shuriken would go embed itself to the extent that it would allow the, the shuriken itself because of the, the uh, density of the skull. So I don't know that it would have gone in very deep to kill the horse. So how did it? My thoughts are always that standard practice for people who wield shuriken is that they are also poisoned. I, I don't know. But that's that's my headcanon to explain how one, per and this comes up again later in the story, actually, uh, one shuriken can kill someone. Now, I don't know if it if it's in the eye, perhaps. Uh, but again, I, I just, you know, uh, but if it's in bone or if it's in like, you know, say your chest or something like that, I've, I've always wondered, is that really deep enough to, to kill somebody? So I just assume that they're always poisoned and the poison, uh, a fast acting poison, which also, you know, that begs an entirely different question, um, is ultimately what kills the people, not the shuriken physically per se. Eh, it allows me to get around, and I don't ask that question anymore whenever I see that, because in my headcanon, that's automatically what I assume. I say all that to think, well, if this dog is poisoned, all four spokes of the star are poisoned, and Jotaro has picked it up. Uh, that doesn't sound like a good idea to me. And he was just eating tokiaki with his hands. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, so he's got a souvenir, uh, and he and Usagi are speaking ninja, which is the perfect opportunity for a ninja to appear, right? So they're walking and suddenly Usagi stops and he gets this look. There are several times in this issue, um, and and this is consistently something that uh, Mr. Sakai does, but the, uh, the, the facial expressions. I'll bring up another one that I really dig later on. It, it, the expression made me feel like a goober reading the book. I'll, I'll get to that. And, and just so you know, I feel like a goober reading comics a lot. I, I think I'm a pretty bright person, but reading comics, there are times that I'm just like, you know, wow, I should have, but I didn't. And so, um, so they're talking and Usagi stops and he, he gets this scrunchy face, you know, like he's closing one eye a little bit and he's raising the brow of the other kind of, you know, not the questioning raising the brow, but it's, it's kind of this befuddled kind of combination look and he looks over his shoulder show yourself you i know you've been following us and out of the shadows stops none other than chizu uh, which reminds me let me list up the dramatis personae here really quick uh, usagi and jitaro which we've seen chizu just now made an appearance we'll have an appearance here in a few no never mind i'll, I'll list these out as a uh, reminder at the end because i don't i don't want to give this away so Chizu is here. Uh, the last time we saw Chizu was during the grass cutter affair a little while ago. And because of that, if you remember the story, she and Usagi did not part necessarily on the best of terms. And it proved to be the ending of a particular um, type of relationship that she had with the Niku Ninja, Neko, Neko Ninja, which she was the leader of at that time. So she and Usagi are, you know, kind of going back and forth here. And 
It's true. I was the leader of the Neko Ninja clan, but now I am a Nukinin, right? Nukinin, Nukinin, which is a fugitive ninja. So that's like a Ronin, I would assume, only for ninja. So Ronin and Nukinin. I believe the sword grass cutter had been lost in the ocean and reported it as such to Lord Hikiji. But you deceived me. And she's looking. She has a very, very stern look as she's looking at Usagi through these panels. But you deceived me and secretly delivered it to Atsuta Temple beyond our reach. Isn't it ironic? A ninja, a master of deception so easily fooled. And now I'm an outlaw hunted by my clan. Only by my death can Chunin Kagamaru establish himself as clan leader. Chunin being uh, executive officer is how it's defined here in the book. I think of that as a number two. He, he was her number two. Click Usagi thumbs out his katana. Do you blame me for your failure, he says. And she still with this stern look on her face, but she looks down, whereas at up until this point, she's been holding Usagi's eye with this stern look on her face. She looks down. I would have become an outcast regardless of grass cutter. My goals differ from those of the clan. Now I'm on the run. Anyone could be my enemy. I oh, And she's looking down the road past them. So Usagi and Jutaro suddenly turn to look, and it's the woodcutters, uh, which I, I love seeing the woodcutters. They're the the everyman, they're the grounding, I think, really, of the Usagi universe. Anytime you see the woodcutters, you can kind of take a breath and, and breathe for a minute. They they mean no, they're nothing, right, but eye candy in the story so far. Now, maybe, you know, I still have 60, uh, maybe getting close to 100 issues of Usagi uh, to talk about, to have talked about them all. Maybe that will change, but so far it hasn't, and I hope it doesn't. Woodcutters are woodcutters. It's a husband and wife, and they have these backpacks that have bundles of wood on them. Uh, they're probably selling them, I would think, going around collecting and selling them to try to make some money. But I, I always dig when they appear. So that's it. Down the path is the woodcutters coming up towards them. Jutaro, there's nothing to be concerned about Ninja Lady. And as he turns to talk to her, he and Usagi realize she's gone. But where is she? She's disappeared, Uncle Usagi. How did she do that? I wish I could do that. that that's all Jutaro. So Jutaro and Usagi continue on their way, on their journeys. Now, uh, this is something I, I didn't get into. Uh, last issue, remember that there was a duel between uh, Katsuchi and Koji. Uh, Katsuchi is Usagi's teacher, sensei. Uh, but also now what had been Jotaro's sensei. Um, Katsuchi and Koji had the duel. Katsuchi won. To take some time off after all of this leading up to this duel, he and another apprentice, Shunji, um, just are wandering south, just wandering with, more importantly, Jotaro given over to Usagi to travel with him some since Katsuchi is doing otherwise and cannot be the teacher. That is why... Um, if there have been gaps in your reading or you're listening to the podcast, that's why all of a sudden Jotaro is traveling with Usagi. Uh, Katsuchi also revealed last episode that Jotaro is Usagi's son. So that's – there we go. All caught up on the family dynamics of Usagi. So they wander on. They pass the woodcutters, come to a temple, and they're going to rest. It's a visitor – a traveler's temple. Uh, they're going to stay the night there out of the weather, out of the elements. And they're both munching down on a, looks like probably a raw turnip. Uh, Usagi probably 
bought a couple, found a couple wild, you know, whatever. But that's what they're having for dinner. Jitaro is complaining that it's not at all like the takoyaki they had earlier. And Usagi's like, dog, we can't spend all our money on takoyaki. We've got to, you know, kind of conserve. So they're having this conversation with a woman and a daughter, although the woman looks more like a grandmother than a mother, I think. But two two women, two females, uh, older, younger. My daughter and I are on a temple pilgrimage. Would you allow us to share your roof for the night? Uh, that's first the older woman speaking, and then the asking is by the younger woman. Usagi says, of course, come in. The old woman, Yoisho. Oh, my old bones are not used to so much walking. Thank you, samurai, for your hospitality. It's starting to get chilly at night, isn't it? And the younger woman, be careful, mother, as they step up into the temple. So they're going back and forth a little bit here, just exchanging pleasantries. The women appear to have uh, onigiri that has been uh, semi-wrapped in nori. Um, and, and that's what they have packed in our eating. And for those of you that might not know what those are, onigiri is a rice ball. Can be stuffed. Doesn't have to be. Um, and nori is simply seaweed. So they have wrapped seaweed to give the rice a little bit, probably, to give the rice a little bit more flavor. Um, I would think that rice balls are uh, fairly nutritious, I think, but they're easy to make, easy to pack, and easy to pack around. So that's what they have to eat. Uh, so Jotaro is like, man, that sure looks good. And he keeps looking and keeps until finally the older woman invites him and says, we have plenty. Would you like some? And he he tosses the turnip over his shoulder as he attacks the onigiri and they're laughing at him and he's having a good time and he's munching down um they offer one to usagi and at this point okay this this is where i felt like a goober i i thought nothing of this scenario until this point usagi looks at his rice ball and then sets it down and says i'm not hungry right now i'll eat it later Right there, I knew something was up. And right there, I thought, daggone, you should have realized that these women were up to something to begin with. Given the story with Chizu and being hunted and just a comic book and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All these, re I'm like, wow, how did you not presume that these women, well, anyways, I didn't. And that gives away the fact that here in a minute, they are up to something. That's enough, Jotaro. Don't be greedy. Leave the rest for the nice lady. But there's plenty, Uncle Usagi. They said, Jotaro. Yes, Uncle Usagi. Usagi's trying to get him to stop eating it because he suspects and he doesn't know exactly, you know, what's going on. Then we see that Jotaro gets uh, sleepy, presumably rather quickly, and falls asleep. Usagi stands, um, pulls. Let's see. What, what did he do here? Interesting move. Okay. His sword is laying on the ground from where he's resting, and he picks it up and pushes it through the slash on uh, the sash, excuse me, on his waist. So he he quasi arms himself. You know, I, I take that as kind of the equivalent of reaching down to your holster and uh, unbuckling the cover so that you can reach in and, and grab the pistol. If the boy is harmed in any way, you'll both pay with your lives. What was in that food? The younger girl stands up. It was drugged with a sleep potion. The older woman, he will awaken in the morning fine and well rested. So now they're going back and forth. Uh, turns out that these two are assassins. Uh, they are elite assassins sent by the Neko clan looking for Chizu. 
They know that she has some connection to Usagi. And in following her, they're aware of the horse issue uh, that happened. I'm sure that made all the news. And uh, aware of this connection between Usagi and Shizu, who they have followed this far. They've kind of lost track of her, apparently, because they want to question Usagi as to where she is. He'll know. And I I thought it was funny. It's like, okay, so you want to question him, and you're going to question him by putting him to sleep. Which I assume that what they would do is put him to sleep, then tie him up. Uh, perhaps torture him, you know, whatever, but he would be at their mercy and they could question him. And honestly, Usagi says, uh, I don't know where she is. They believe that he's lying and they attack. Now, they both attack, although the young one attacks a little bit beforehand. Uh, they might have had a better chance if they'd both attacked simultaneously. But um, what I like about this scene in particular is that they both have the cane, the, the swords disguised as canes. Uh, much like uh, Zatoichi, the uh, blind swordsman, does. And so they they draw the sword from their cane and they both attack. Uh, The young one, after uh, three or four pretty cool action panels here, uh, suffers a slash, I don't know, somewhere to the body, and she dies. We, We see the death skull here, although this death skull has long flowing black hair, much like the young lady did. And she drops at the feet of Jitaro, who is leaning up against a a pillar supporting the temple asleep. So she falls at his feet, which I I thought was going to be significant that he was going to wake up or something, but he never does. The older woman now, she attacks Usagi, and she lasts much, much longer. Uh, Stalemated, she acrobats, backflips, and whatnot her way over to Jitaro and grabs him, puts the sword at his throat never waking him. So stop or the child dies. Nusagi first panel has this uh, surprised face, you know, but then the next panel has a very resolute face and says, let him go. Just like that. Nice pauses in between the words. Yes. Um, the, the old woman is looking rough. She's looking, yeah. Tell me what I want to know, and I will. I do not know where Chizu is, Usagi retorts. <laughs> Liar. I give you your one chance. Now see what it means to cross me. The kid dies. Which, you know, for for us, she says. Otherwise, I think she wouldn't even have said anything. She just slashed his throat. But that gives enough time for a shuriken to whiz by Usagi's head, which we see that in a panel, and uh, embed itself in the old woman's forehead. And this is where I was talking about how these work, actually. And she crumples... Um, not dead yet, but she has felled. Usagi sees her, whirls around to see presumably the direction that the shuriken came from, and there, sure enough, is Chizu. As I said, I can't stand by and see an innocent child harmed. She has this weird face uh, on, her, on her face. It pains me to have to slay my friends, but that is the road I must now travel, as now we see the death skull for the older woman. So she's dead, too. Usagi checks on Jotaro, who is still asleep. Chizu recovers her shuriken, having already lost one to Jotaro. Interesting panel sequence. Now I know what it's like to be a ronin like you, she says, as she walks up to him and touches his face. Usagi himself bends forward and gives her a big smack kiss there on the on the lips, and then backs away, and they both look exclaimed. Uh, then they both laugh, and then the next panel we see... Um, 
uh, an interesting uh, panel here. Let me flip back a couple pages to where Usagi first came to this temple. No, there is. Okay, there's a fence around the temple with a gate because Usagi has um, escorted Shizu, presumably, up to the gate, and she has uh, run on out into the greater unknown still on her uh, Nikinin journey. Jitaro wakes up. Uh, Good morning, Uncle Usagi. I must have been really tired last night. Usagi <laughs> says, yeah, you slept like you were drugged. Ah, ha, ha. I see what you did there. Gee, I'm hungry. What's for breakfast? Not turnips, I hope. Look, let's buy something on the road. Maybe we'll come across a takoyaki stand. Really? Oh, boy. And he's all excited. And they get ready to leave. Usagi is uh, sashing his katana once again as he he went ahead and laid down and, and got some shut-eye himself. Should we wake the nice ladies to say goodbye and thank them for the meal? They're both laying over here on the other side of the temple together, uh, the swords sheathed and leaning up against the wall as if somebody would place them there to go to sleep. Usagi says, no, let's let them sleep. Now, this panel is from behind Usagi and Jotaro, who are off to the side a little bit, looking at the bodies laying on the floor, both of them facing away towards the wall. The next panel, the image, the, the camera angle has shifted almost 180 degrees to where we see from the women's side past them to Usagi and Jotaro as they're walking to the door. This so that we can see that there's a nasty hole in the older woman's head and blood dribbling down her face, letting, re- reminding you that she's dead. Usagi says, nah, they must be dead tired. Oh, I see what you did there too. Final panel, Usagi Jitaro wandering uh, across the plains, dragonflies, clouds, wind blowing Usagi's ears, Jitaro wielding the practice wooden sword that he has. End of story. Inside back cover is a letters page, which probably the most interesting thing to me was this. This is from Ben Kelly of Melbourne, Australia. He says, I have a minor nitpick that I was hoping you could clear up for me. Occasionally, when you draw characters during a Karate Yoko or Kesegiri style cut, the little finger is drawn raised. It's my understanding that most Kenjutsu styles teach that the little finger is the most important in the cutting action, and not using it makes it very difficult to make an effective cut. Now, that was interesting enough to begin with, but hence, Yakuza cutting it off as a punishment. I had no idea that that's why the pinkies were often what was sacrificed. Am I expecting too much realism from a comic, or is there a reason that the finger is drawn raised? And the response, presumably by Stan, uh, the little finger is raised uh, just as an artistic touch. It acts as a visual counterpoint to the rest of the hand gripped at the sword hilt. I take a lot of liberties. Another is the position of the hands, which are really too close to the tsuba, which is the um, circular guard. So to effectively wield a sword, presumably either the hands need to be farther apart and or farther down the pommel, which I think usually the the, the teaching is that that second hand, the pommel is even with the outside of the hand so that the lower hand is all the way down the pommel. And then to get enough leverage, that top hand is wherever it needs to be, usually spaced to give a good um, slash uh, uh, energy behind the the slash of the sword and allow them to. But yeah, normally when Usagi does it, it's almost all the way up at the hilt and the two hands are together. 
some portion of the pommel sticking out past the two, which yeah is a, is a much weaker stroke. Is is my limited understanding. Uh, some other letters here, uh, nothing really that jumped out at me except the one here. Uh, the editor, uh, Diana Schutz, um, Schutz, Schutz. What what is it? Let's look in the front here, Diana. Shoots, S-C-H-U-T-Z, shoots, 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 um, responds. Uh, one question is about the duel between Koji and Katsichi last issue. And then Stan responds, and then Diana responds also in a little different font. So you can tell it's a different person. So I like that. Back cover is a really cool drawing of Chizu uh, as she is leapt at us kind of and is attacking with her katana. Nice, nice picture. All right, so in reflection, let's see. Our dramatis personae were Usagi Yojimbo, Jotaro, and Chizu. They all played major parts. We saw the woodcutters. We had Katsuichi, and, uh, who was in name only, and Hideko, who was the young girl at the beginning that got things going, almost trampled by the gorilla samurai's horse. On the other side, the the evil side, let's say, we have that gorilla samurai who I, I don't know that he was necessarily evil, but we'll go with it. The two Nico Ninja assassins, uh, Kagamaru, who is in name only, reference to the Nico Ninjas, both from Chizu, the two assassin women, and the name drop of Kagamaru. And then we have Lord Hakiji, who is name dropped also. A lot of words that we have seen and a lot of new phrases. Uh, takoyaki, which is a uh, on a stick, it's grilled octopus in dough, so it's it's a deep fried octopus. Which you know, even back then, heck, they knew that deep frying just about anything made it better, right? Yeah, yeah. I've I've had some octopus. I haven't had it as uh, takoyaki. I've had some octopus, and it didn't didn't stay with me very much. I, I wasn't a big fan of it. Uh, the shuriken, uh, which is defined as a – well, it wasn't defined in the story, but that's the throwing star. Uh, takuyaki was defined in the story. The word ninja, the word samurai, uh, nukinin, which is a fugitive ninja. That was uh, defined for us. The chunin, which was defined for us. The executive officer, uh, the word ronin, we saw it. Um, I looked up the name of the rice ball, which is the – Onigiri and nori is the seaweed. Actually, when I Googled it, um, I, I Googled, what did I Google? Like stuffed rice ball, a Japanese stuffed rice ball. And the first image that came up was a very similar image to what they were actually eating with the ball and the uh, nori on it as well. So I think that finishes up everything from this issue. Next time out, uh, I believe I mentioned this last issue, uh, last episode as well. I'll be looking at Usagi Jimbo. Volume 4, number 19 from IDW Comics. Uh, looks like it was published in April of 2021. So that'll be next time. Thanks for hanging in there for me. I hope this was enjoyable, not too boring. Appreciate you listening, guys. Ciao.